Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest, and we are back at it again. I bring you more news from the past week. This is weekly roundup number 10 on August 21st, 2021. And it is, again, another jam-packed episode, a lot of news. We're going to go international, funny, uh, interesting, some things related to OnlyFans, uh, Facebook, and so a lot of different topics we're going to kind of jump around with. And so let's get into it. And so our very first topic here uh, is going to be about the protests that happened last year and the response to that by the federal government and really the police and law enforcement in this country. And so we got a new report here that shows that the federal government deliberately targeted Black Lives Matter protesters via heavy handed criminal prosecutions in an attempt to disrupt and discourage the global movement that had really kind of swept the nation and beyond. It had went really went global. And this was all after, you know, the murder uh, of George Floyd that we all watched on video last year. And so this is a new report that's titled Struggle for Power. Uh, the ongoing persecution of black of black movement by the U.S. government, and this report really kind of details how policing has used has been used historically as a major tool to deter black people from engaging in their right to protest. And we know this, Adrian. You know, with the Black Panther movement, this was a big thing. Law enforcement, you know, really infiltrated the Black Panthers and, and tried to disrupt what they were doing because they they felt that they were a threat you know, to what was happening in the country. And this report, you know, kind of is the same thing. It's a rehash. The same kind of tactics are being used um, against the Black Lives Matter protesters. And so it's funny, you know, we were having a conversation last year about how the, you know, the the ones, the the white, really white people who were showing up to state capitals with rifles were treated a lot differently than BLM protesters. And just to let you know, before we get into our discussion here, uh, this report actually shows that um, 92, over 92 percent of the cases where there were equivalent state level charges that could have been brought against defendants um, that had less of their potential sentences, that didn't happen. They were actually charged with federal charges. And that is the big difference here. These were federal charges being brought against Black Lives Matter protesters, even when there were equivalent state level charges that would have you know, resulted in less of a punishment didn't matter. And this came directly from Donald Trump and, you know, at the time, Attorney General General, uh, Bill Barr. And so, Adrian, it's like we're not surprised. (laughs) You know, we were watching it on television. We could see the responses to the Black Lives Matter protesters. And you could tell instantly there was a difference with the black people. It was they were thugs. They were anarchists you know, domestic terrorists, looters, whatever negative stereotype you could pull out there, that's what was used to describe the Black Lives Matter protests. Whereas with the COVID-19, you know, uh, protests where white people were showing up, majority white people were showing up to state capitals with, with rifles armed, everything was okay. They were just exercising their right to be an American. <laughs> and so this report, you know, basically tells us what we kind of already knew. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can see just the difference of how the government, um, you know, treated the insurrectionists versus treating, you know, the Black Lives Matter, you know, protests. Um, time after time, Devin, it seems like, as you said, uh, America has an addiction to, you know, treating black people wrong. 
Uh, and this just goes to reinforce that and endorse the fact that we, uh, even though it's 2021, we still have a long way to go with actually having racial justice in our country um, because you've got the government that's supposed to be of the people, by the people, for the people that's working against us. Um, and like you said, that's not a surprise, just like we talked about, you know, with the war on drugs, the history of marijuana. I mean, everything has race and, you know, uh, to, you know, kind of uh, behind it. So, um, I'm good that at least reporters are bringing it to light, Devin. So hopefully we can see something out of it as a result because more and more people should start to kind of see what's going on here. And speaking about what's going on, um, you mentioned in the intro about OnlyFans. Um, and, and listeners, we wanted to kind of do a little, you know, read through about this case just because, you know, we had an episode about escorting and OnlyFans and escorting, you know, kind of go hand in hand to a certain degree because, you know, some of them do both. But OnlyFans creators are actually outraged this week after the website announced that it will no longer allow any sexual explicit content starting in October. For the last few years, the site has gained notoriety as a go-to destination for models and sex workers looking to digitally share their explicit photos and videos with their fan bases. Participation and mainstream acceptance of the site skyrocketed even after during the pandemic, after the adult film industry shut down over fears about COVID. Um, and that's true, Devin. I definitely saw a lot of people who, especially as I was on different sites, everybody's on OnlyFans trying to collaborate was kind of the thing yes. there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thursday, OnlyFans announced that it would be evolving its content guidelines due to mounting pressure from financial investors. Assuming those investors don't want to be uh, associated with sex workers and pornography, maybe. But but when you think about it, Devin, OnlyFans was really um, uh, almost a disruptor in the porn pornography industry because um, they had a lot of earning potential. I mean, they had uh, more than 130 million users, uh, more than 2 million content creators, and collectively they had earned over uh, $5 billion, that's with the B, <laughs> uh, since, the pand- uh, since the platform had begun. So, I mean... I don't, you know, when I'm, I'm a, I'm a sales guy, I'm a business oriented person. And whenever I think about the fact that they're changing their guidelines because of pressure from financial investors, I'm like, were the investors not looking at that 5 billion with the B? <laughs> were you like, well, like, I, I just don't understand what were they thinking other than the fact that here in America, just like drugs and in sex and different things like that, they're more taboo topics that mm-hmm. we want to say that this is a morality issue and it should be demonized rather than it just being something that we modernize uh, and have more education around. Exactly, and and that's in it. And it sucks for the people who built up OnlyFans to get them to those billions, and now that they want to kind of change the rules of the game here, you know, so that they can pony up and be a public company or, or and get more funding, which I understand. But like you say, we've got to move past this taboo stereotype, making this a moral issue just because someone wants to create an OnlyFans doesn't make them a lesser person. Um, just, you know, we still have strip clubs. That doesn't mean the strippers in there <laughs> are, are lesser people. It doesn't mean you're you're more moral than them. We have to get off our high horse here. And understand we've all we all have to do things to make money. And sometimes it's not going to be the traditional way of doing it. So um, we'll have to move. <laughs> we'll have to one day get past that. Um, but moving on to a 
you know, a better story here, some more good news, I guess, here. Um, so coming out of Georgia here, so you know, last year, Georgia really kind of, you know, if you were a Democrat, you were they saved the day essentially. Um, installing not only voting for Joe Biden for the first time, or voting for a Democrat for the first time in years, they also installed or voted for two Democratic senators um, and, and gave the Democrats a majority. And part of the reason for that is the fact that 95% of Georgians are act- who are eligible to vote are registered. Again, 95% of the eligible voters in the state of Georgia are registered to vote. And this is in due in large part to people like Stacey Abrams, who turned her 2008 uh, gubernatorial loss to Brian Kemp into an opportunity to get people to the polls. And that she did. Uh, the uh, U.S. Election Assistance Commission published its report recently. It found that the state of Georgia has uh, a little bit over seven million one hundred thousand active registered voters with a ton- turnout over 5 million. And so the majority of those who did not register are not eligible to vote because of crimes they committed, something we talked about in one of our past episodes. And so just to give you an idea, in 2019, uh, about 260,000 people in Georgia did not vote because of their felony uh, sentences took away their right, their, you know, their right to enfranchisement. So um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's great news though, Adrian, 95%. I mean, that's impressive. And Georgia's getting ready to go through. It may happen next year, maybe the year after, but they're going to have a, a governor uh, election again. Brian Kemp is going to be up for reelection. And I'm pretty sure Stacey Abrams is going to run again. And the, the playing field is set. She, she's registered almost every person in Georgia. So if, you know, if last year is any indication, uh, Brian Kemp is going to have a heck of a time <laughs> trying to get reelected. <laughs> You're right. I mean, because not only is she working to get everybody registered, but that other part, which is what we, you know, what you mentioned, is the people who can't vote because of felony records. Um, she's trying to take care of that part too. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, no matter if you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, Independent, Libertarian, Green Party, Black Party, I don't care. Um, after someone served their time, they should be able to participate in the political process again. We shouldn't forever strip people of their voting rights because, I mean, we live in a democracy. <laughs> I mean, if, if you lose that basic sense of you being able to voice your opinion, you're not living in a democracy anymore. We're, we're not a democracy. We're not a democratic country if we're going to be able to just take away uh, certain people's rights to vote just because of their past behavior. And like I said, it's not necessarily about um the behavior, but it's about the the restitution of the behavior mm-hmm. to make sure that they are a better person. Um, but yeah, uh, we wanted to give y'all some different uh, uh, news listeners. Uh, if you're in Georgia and you are a registered voter, congrats. Good job on helping us out. Uh, if you're not, maybe you need to kind of go ahead and register if you don't have some felonies, because there's probably a lot of people who haven't registered and who don't have felonies. But to take us a little bit international, um, Haiti's been going through a tough time, listeners, and we wanted to kind of give them a little bit of reverence uh, and recognition for what they're uh, you know, struggling through. Um, Haitian officials raised the death toll from a deadly weekend earthquake by more than 500 on Tuesday after Tropical Storm Grace forced a temporary halt to search and rescue efforts. And, and again, listeners, if you don't remember, you know, Haiti lost their president. 
you know, they've got an earthquake and then they've got a tropical storm. So that's a lot going on. Um, Grace spattered southwestern Haiti, which was hit hardest by Saturday's quake. And officials warned some areas could get 15 inches of rain before the storm moved on. Intermittent rain fell in the earthquake-damaged city of Los Cayos and in the capital of Port-au-Prince. At least 2,100 people have died. About 12,000 have been hospitalized with injuries, and about 332 are still missing. And this is all according to the Haiti Office of Civil Protection. You know, Devin, I, there's not much that can be said other than heart goes out to the Haitian nation, prayers, vibes, thoughts. I mean, it's, you know, we talked a little bit off, you know, off the show about how Haiti is just not in the best geographic position. Um, and when you've got the fact that they don't have the most robust economy, um, where they've got a lot of people who actually can sustain themselves, certain, you know, natural disasters like this completely, you know, wipe out an economy. Yeah. It's, it's crippling. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it was already chaos, you know, when um, President, I think it's President Moise was assassinated. And now you add on an earthquake where you have almost, you know, over 2000 people dead, another 12,000 injured. I mean, it's just awful, man. I mean, just and they just went through a, a horrific earthquake 10 years ago. That one was even worse, you know, and then to have to do it again. And add in a tropical, I mean, tropical storm. It's just, man, they just cannot catch a break. Um, and so, yeah, you know, thoughts definitely go to the people of Haiti and just do what you can. There's some groups out there who are, you know, trying to put some some relief efforts together. Make sure you donate to real organizations. You know, check your Better Business Bureaus <laughs> to make sure that the, the place, you know, these organizations are real. Don't just give your money to anybody. Could be um, going to smartly. Taliban. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Make sure it's going to the right place. But they definitely need all the help that they can uh, They can get. So uh, we'll come back stateside here, and we're going to talk about everybody's favorite thing, which is Facebook. Um, and so it looks like the FTC has got their uh, their uh, their eyes squarely on Facebook in, a, in an antitrust lawsuit here. And so the Federal Trade Commission on Thursday refiled an antitrust lawsuit against the company claiming that Facebook holds monopoly power in the social media market and maintains that monopoly by systematically purchasing rivals and creating barriers to competition. Not surprising. I think we all kind of know that. Um, <laughs> this this new filing describes the schemes in which Facebook wielded its supremacy to undermine any potential for competition and not by out-innovating the other companies, but by imposing contractual restrictions on developers that outright prohibited them from competing against Facebook. And the outcome of that is, of course, that it impeded the growth of, of emerging potential rivals in its industry. Um, and so it's a monopoly. And the FTC is saying Facebook has simply paid its competitors to disappear. Um, and I'm, they're pretty blunt with this, uh, Adrian. And, and just to wrap it up here, I mean, you know, if you're kind of wondering why the FTC is going after them, just think about all the acquisitions that Facebook has made in the last few years. WhatsApp, Instagram is the Instagram is the most obvious, you know, them going and purchasing a rival because Instagram was just getting ready to hit its stride. And here comes Facebook to swoop in and buy it. And now they don't have to compete against them. So uh, in addition, like I said, the company also owns Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp. 
two of the most widely used platforms in the world. And like I say, they're prime examples of the company using its vast resources to dominate the social media market. And it says uh, the FTC, just to round this out here, they said they illegally bought or buried uh, these competitors when their popularity became an existential threat. So I don't know. We'll see, Adrian, if anything actually comes about, you know, with this uh, filing. You know, these companies fight these things tooth and nail. So I don't know if Facebook is really worried about it, but I would agree that we need to take a really hard look at companies like Facebook, Google, Amazon, because they're becoming behemoths and it's almost impossible to compete with them. You know, like you can't just start. A so- I mean, you could try to start a social media company today, but you're probably going to run into Facebook at some point. <laughs> you know, like you just you can't compete with them. And they have so much information on all of us that it's, you know, it's it's not even just a social media platform. It's really just a data collection platform, to be honest. They're taking our data and selling it. <laughs> so it just, you know, Facebook has just gotten, I think, too big. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you say stuff like that and people want to call you a liberal or Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth <laughs> Warren, but it's true. I mean, if if you literally have the market dominance to buy your competitors or make it difficult for them to operate because of how you're changing the market, yeah, you're a monopoly. I mean, it's I, I don't I don't know why we, we have this argument. I mean, it's Facebook. I mean, it's, it's clearly a monopoly. Anybody that tries to come on the social media stage to do what they're doing, they're bought up They're They disappear, you know, they get paid and you don't hear from them anymore. And that's not to say that, you know, that, that, that company, you know, didn't get, you know, their due diligence or whatever, because I'm sure Facebook pays them a fair market value. But what the FTC is talking about is just that we live in a, inter, you know, a capitalistic enterprise to where we should have freedoms within our markets. And Facebook is really taking that way when it comes to social media. But listeners, what we're going to do, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this segment here. We want to let you in on a little news. Uh, some of you might be uh, in the process of getting ready to buy a home. Uh, there's two brothers, Christopher and Aaron. They're called the Credit Bros. They actually launched a new service called Dispute It for Free, which helps individuals and families to accurately monitor and correct their credit reports by removing invalid collection accounts and other areas. They've actually helped well over 250 families. They've been recognized by Black Enterprise, Face to Face Africa, and they've been mentioned by many celebrities via social media. All you got to do is go to their website, click sign up, fill out the fill uh, in your info and the software will direct you to uh, to really, you know, get your credit back taken care of so that you can figure out what's on there and become a homeowner because we don't have enough of us who are homeowners. So hats off to Chris and Aaron. Uh, listeners, we're going to give you your first break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So 
We're going to get into uh, some COVID news. We talk about it every show now. It's back in the news. Rona's back, and it's got a new name. It's called the Delta variant, and it is extremely uh, transmissible, and we're starting to see cases surge. And it's also starting to make some people crazy, like the lieutenant, lieutenant governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, who's just going out here spreading kind of sort of misinformation, half-truth, if, if what you will say. Um, so Dan Patrick is the lieutenant Republican lieutenant governor of Texas, and he's trying to place the blame on Democrats and the black community for the rising number of COVID-19 cases in Texas. And so he said this on Fox. He said, uh, the last time I checked, or he said, well, the biggest group in most states are African-Americans who have not been vaccinated. The last time I checked, over 90 percent of them voted for Democrats in their major cities and major counties. So it's up to Democrats to get just as it is up to Republicans to try to get as many people vaccinated. Now, he's basically telling everybody this it's the black people that's causing, causing the COVID spread. Like, he didn't say it like that, but that's what he said. Um, the Washington Post immediately labeled his comments patently false, saying the latest data from the Texas Department of State Health Services shows that black residents only account for 16.4 of coronavirus cases and 10% of the deaths from the disease, while only comprising 13% of the state's population. Translation, he's lying. (laughs) He's just making this up here. Um, That is not true. Black people are not causing the spread. Now, is there some hesitancy in our community? I think Adrian, everybody agree that there is some, but to just go out there and just try to lump us all in and say, hey, it's the black folks spreading it, that ain't true. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's like how they they don't like uh everybody lumping them into being called racist or whatever you can't yeah um, yeah can't overly generalize uh a group of people like that um basket of deplorables <laughs> that's, that's right <laughs> uh but i mean we uh we can say uh covid19 is uh pretty deplorable uh because it is it's, it's pretty bad that it's rampant uh, the CDC uh, and you know federal health officials said on Wednesday that vaccinated Americans will need to get a booster shot eight months after receiving their second dose of COVID-19 vaccine to maximize their protection against the virus and to extend its durability. Um, so I guess that's, you know, because I got mine in, you know, April. So I guess I'll be due around, you know, December, November, uh, December, January for, for a booster shot. Uh, the nation's leading public health and medical experts from the Department of Health and Human Services announced in a joint statement that the Biden administration is prepared to begin offering the boosters the week of September 20th and starting eight month programs after Americans receive their second dose of Pfizer and Moderna two shot vaccine. So, um, unfortunately, listeners, we talk about COVID. Every seg, uh, you know, every um, episode, uh, and I say unfortunate because at this point we should have woken up to the fact that COVID is preventable. You know, I know that this Delta variant is, and all these Lambda and all these other variants, you know, people are still getting even like you know uh, our, well, I guess not our senator, but Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker even tested positive for COVID after being vaccinated. A lot of people are getting it, but they're not dying. They're not in the hospital. They're not getting real, real bad symptoms. So at this point, I mean, if you haven't gotten your shot, I mean, you're, I mean, you're, 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 
I, I'm going to say you're a plague to society. I mean, you're you're plaguing our society. I mean, that may sound strong, but that's what a, that's what a, a pandemic is. I mean, it's a plague on the people. And if you're not getting vaccinated, you're part of the problem. I'm going to be real. I'm going to come out and say that. That's not I mean, yeah, the I, I would, that's the you know, I would I would add to that if you're not going to take the vaccine and you're not going to wear a mask, you are the problem. <laughs> um, you got to do something. It's, it's an and you know it's an either or, but you can't do you can't not do both. Of you can't just go outside naked, basically. <laughs> basically, you got to put some kind of clothes on. Come on, help us out here. Um, but and just to let you know how bad things really have gotten um, in the state of Alabama, as you may remember, we talked about their governor a few weeks ago when she was saying that the reason why uh, you know it's time to blame the unvaccinated people. Uh, things have gotten much worse in Alabama. So right now, hospitals in Alabama have officially run out. They have run out of intensive care unit beds as the coronavirus cases spike in the state. And this is now forcing workers to make space to treat patients as they wait for open beds. Um, I think this was on Wednesday. On Wednesday, Alabama had a negative number of ICU beds in the state, which means they had more patients then they had ICU beds available. And this was on Wednesday, and that was from the Alabama Department of Public Health. And so hospital staffers have had to force, have been forced to convert hallways, regular patient rooms, and emergency spaces into areas where they can treat patients in need of ICU rooms. And officials said some patients could be transferred to different hospitals when beds become available. So just a whole mess there. Um, in Alabama, Adrian. And it just lets you know how serious this thing has gotten. Um, and in some cases, this is a little worse than some of the past surges because this new Delta variant is more transmissible. So we're getting, a, you know, there may not necessarily be more people dying, but you're getting more people in the hospital who are getting sick. And that is the whole purpose of the vaccine is to keep you out. <laughs> and this is why. You know, it's, it's rare that you see a negative number <laughs> of I of available ICU beds. Yeah. Uh it just goes to show you that whenever you have a delayed response to a global pandemic, <laughs> yeah. uh, shit hits the fan. I mean, things <laughs> get real. To say, you know, lack of a better way to put it. I mean, and that's what many, many governors are, are going through. Um they back Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell and all the other GOP leaders. And now their states are suffering. And I'm not saying that to like point fingers, but I'm saying that to say that what did you expect? I mean, when when you when you're not endorsing science, you're you're not endorsing medicine. You're you're endorsing Donald Trump and his foolishness. Um, I really hope that I'm glad that the governor is is doing better about telling the truth and trying to get people vaccinated. But I'm like, you know, it, it's late, and I mean, you should have been doing that earlier. I only hope that more and more people who are in Alabama and in our country and around the world will just look at cases like Alabama, look at Florida. Um, I mean, I think even Israel and Italy, I mean, they're starting to have some surges. So um, people just got to get real about what we're going through um, because it's uh, it's still it's still very prevalent, Devin. Um, one thing that was very prevalent, and I saw this because I was, you know, before I, you know, moved over to uh, Muncie, I actually uh, was in, or whether I was around DC when this was happening, uh, I was about to go into DC, but when I saw this, I was like, ah, traffic's probably going to be terrible. 
But uh, that's probably not what people should be focused on when there's a bomb threat. <laughs> a man who was parked in a pickup truck outside of the Library of Congress Thursday threatened to detonate a bomb. Uh, he was surrounded and surrendered uh, to the law enforcement. Capitol Police, Chief, uh, Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger identified the suspect as Floyd Ray Roseberry of North Carolina. Roseberry appears to have posted videos to a now deleted Facebook page Thursday morning in which he addresses President Biden and describes calling it a bomb threat. A standoff stretched into the afternoon as law enforcement negotiated with Roseberry. Capitol Police said in a new statement that they found possible bomb making materials in the suspect's truck, but not an actual bomb. In his videos, the man in the truck airs a pillony of hard to follow MAGA word complaints. As one point, he expresses the belief that his <laughs> sorry, I, I, sorry, <laughs> listeners, I, we're, we're reading this and, and, and sometimes it just gets funny. But uh, at one point, he expresses the belief that his dickhead Biden will be removed from office. Uh, Democrats jailed and Trump reinstated. He referred to tr- uh, Trump's pardon power as seemingly the key to that plan. Um, a lot of craziness here, Devin. He says that Nancy is controlling Antifa, which is some made-up organization who's apparently putting people in uh, on planes and flying them all over the country in black, you know, uniforms. Um, he also makes uh, oblique statements and references to the UN, saying that the American military won't protect Democrats, and seems to allude to Hunter Biden by mentioning the wealth of Biden's son. I mean, it's just a lot, Devin. I mean, it's. Um, you know, like I said, I was around DC when I saw this, I, I probably should have went in to, you know, do like a story, you know, right there from the, for the black agenda or whatever. But, mm. uh, this was crazy. I mean, you, you know, you almost, you almost wonder where was his mind even thinking? Because I mean, he was at the Capitol with bombs. I mean, they were going to figure this out and, you know, surround him and make him surrender. I mean, you're not going to really go a whole lot of places with bomb threats at the Capitol. I mean, I don't know. We did have uh, a riot and insurrectionists that raided the Capitol. So maybe he was just kind of following suit. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what happens when you allow people to just kind of say anything without consequences. People feel emboldened to go out and put on these shows here. Luckily, there wasn't a bomb in his car, but there were bomb making materials. You just don't know uh, with what's going on. There's so much going on with the pandemic. And just everything else, people are, you know, wired on edge and you just thank God he didn't have a bomb. But boy, you know, that's it's, it's still scary no matter what. Um, and we're kind of moving on from that store. We're going to move now to New York, uh, Syracuse, New York, rather. And there is a, a lawsuit going on. So there's an officer there. His name is Brandon Hanks. He's filed a lawsuit against the city of Syracuse and the police department for what he alleges to be, quote, Jim Crow culture and discriminating against him. And so Officer Hanks is well known in the community uh, for his engagement. Uh, In 2019, he even hosted a one-on-one basketball match for children in the area. And so Hanks is alleging that his familiarity with some of the citizens in the local area, along with him listening to rap music, that that the Syracuse Police Department painted a picture that he is gang affiliated. And so even on April 8th, uh, it looks like Syracuse Police Department Captain Timothy Gay, along with six other officers, generated a memo expressing their concerns on not only Officer Hanks being tied to gangs, but possibly trafficking drugs. Uh, 
Uh, Officer Hanks alleges that this memo was curated to prevent him from being part of an all white gang task force because he is black and label and he labeling his treatment as Jim Crow culture. He's filing a lawsuit for thirty three million dollars against the city, uh, alleging uh, discrimination and retaliation against his black employees. And so, um, Adrian, you know, this is part of our conversation, you know, with Superintendent Ferguson about the culture that's in the police departments around the country. And when you try to speak up and try to point out things that need to be fixed, there is this attitude, this retaliation, you know, if like you can't upset the apple cart kind of deal. And in this case here, it looks like they're trying to, you know, paint the picture of like, well, he's too cozy with the locals here. He must be on their side and not ours. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, whenever you look at this, it's one, I guess it's it's just not surprising because we always, you know, we, we kind of know that discrimination exists in America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we shouldn't be alarmed by this, but you know, you, I guess at some, some points you would think that, cause I mean, this is Syracuse. I mean, this is out of New York. I mean, they're supposed to be a little bit more, uh, more progressive up there. Uh, but this is still happening as a result of people not really wanting to pay attention. Um, and, and honestly, it's like whites still are wanting to deny us a seat at the table. Um, they didn't want him to be a part of this task force to actually bring in some change. Um, but again, that's not to be, it's not anything shocking. Unfortunately, we just, it's so crazy. Um, because I always, I always tell people, you know, if I was, if I wasn't so politically driven here in America, I would just relocate and live somewhere else. Because I mean, honestly, the country doesn't care about black people that much, but because this is such a great country, we've got so many opportunities to be great. Um, I figure it may be worth investing in a little bit. I don't know. But um, to take us to some telecommunications news, uh, and not to bring in Dorothy in this, but I can't think of another statement, but T-Mobile kind of screwed <laughs> the pooch on this one here. Um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> uh, the headline says um, T-Mobile's breach exposed nearly 50 million people's personal data. That's a lot. I don't even, I don't even know they had that many customers, but I guess they are one of the, the big three. Uh, it says the names, social security numbers, and information from their driver's licenses or other identification of just over 40 million former or prospective customers that applied for T-Mobile credit were exposed in a recent data breach, the company said on this Wednesday. The same data for about 7.8 million current T-Mobile postpaid customers appears to be compromised. No phone numbers, account numbers, pins, passwords, or financial information from the nearly 50 million records and accounts were compromised. T-Mobile also confirmed that approximately 850,000 active T-Mobile prepaid customers' names, phone numbers, account pins were exposed. The company said that it has proactively reset all of the pins on their accounts, no uh, Metro by T-Mobile for, former Sprint prepaid or Boost customers had their names or pins exposed. So if you're with Metro or Boost, seems like you're in the clear. The announcement comes two days after T-Mobile said that it was investigating a leak of its data after someone took 
to an online forum offering to sell the personal information of cell phone users. You know, Devin, there's a lot of smart people who are hackers. And I'm just like, if you could apply your intellect in some other areas, you'd be bad. I mean, you'd be, <laughs> I mean, you'd be the top in whatever the industry you wanted to be in. Uh, Cause this is, this is some real stuff. I mean, somebody, you know, you know, expose all of this information for people and i mean some people almost just do this sort of thing just for funsies i mean it's not like they they just want to do it just to prove that they did it but this is real people who uh a lot of t-mobile's uh, customers especially if you're with boost and metro or even with t-mobile they don't have a lot of money they don't have time to be getting you know hacked and stuff no but that's you know this is the world we live in now you know with everything everything so digital this is just increasing ransomware data breaches is all becoming part coming normal and that's the scary part we're we're coming used to our information being stolen <laughs> by you know cyber you know hackers and that's just that's the way of the world now so just be extra careful with your passwords and you know keep an eye on your credit cuz it looks like you know they got the name social security numbers and driver's license information that's all you need to to apply for a credit card in someone else's name so just make sure, you know, now we just have to expect at some point for your information to get in the hands of someone um, for nefarious reasons. <laughs> um, so just be on the lookout. <laughs> uh, but our, our next story here, uh, moving on here. So we're, we're going to be talking about New Black uh, Wall Street. So it looks like uh, I'm hoping I'm saying this right. Ikechi uh, Nwabusi. He's the founder and CEO of Tribal. Um, he He's calling today for a new Black Wall Street. And he's offering what is really a bold vision on how Black people can t- around the world can create generational wealth by building off some of the many lessons learned 100 years after the famed Greenwood community in Tulsa was destroyed. And he's got some steps here that we can follow to lay out this plan. And so the first one here is to leverage the Black consumer buying power. The $1.4 trillion black consumer buying power should be used to create the new black Wall Street and focus on black excellence, the power of community and the importance of unity. And so that's step one, leveraging the black consumer power. Uh, Number two is creating wealth within the black community by buying black and creating safe spaces and communities where the majority of commerce is black owned. And then step three he says that there needs to be greater investment in technology to cre- to create social networks that allow black people around the world to have greater access to blockchain. And so those three steps, he he says, are our that, that can be our path to hopefully rebuilding um, a new black Wall Street. And so um, I don't know, Adrian, it sounds like he's got some some stats here. He's got some steps. Um, we definitely need it for sure. Um, but hopefully, you know, it's it's hard getting us together. We always know this. It's hard for black people to work together. Uh, but we got to start somewhere. And I, I like his his three steps here. Yeah, because his three steps speak to what the black community is not doing. We don't care about community. We don't care about building each other up. Uh, we usually talk more about our black businesses than we do endorsing them. So I'm with them there. But listeners, we know we're coming to the end of our second segment here, Racing Against the Clock. 
Uh, just to let you uh, into some insight here, in case you are going through some childhood trauma, there's actually a very interesting lady, Patrice Brantley. She's an author, educator, licensed therapist, and even a podcaster. At the age of six, she actually saw her father point a gun at her mom and actually shot, but the gun misfired. So, you know, didn't go as bad as planned. But she's actually uh, come up with some different audio books and workbooks titled Trauma and Their Cousins that really works to try to transform and heal people who've suffered through childhood trauma. So we just wanted to let you know about that because there's a lot of people suffering out there from whatever the reason is. And we don't want you to go without because we've done plenty of episodes on mental health. So make sure you take care of yours today. So listeners are going to do another break here. When we come back, we're going to get into our quick hits. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our quick hits here. So our very first one here is not quite funny. It's really kind of serious, um, but I just wanted to point it out. It's a kind of a crazy story out of California. Um, but right now, California investigators are looking to track down a white van after a video emerged that appeared to show a woman's possible roadside abduction or a domestic incident in Santa Clarita Valley, which is north of Los Angeles. And this uh, was announced on Thursday. And so the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department shared the video on Monday, asking for the public's help tracking down the vehicle vehicle and its occupants. And then on Wednesday evening, a department spokesperson said the van had been located and that all the occupants are safe. So the video they released was a minute and 47 seconds, and it begins with the van on the side of Calgrove Boulevard, which is near Interstate 5, a woman can be heard shouting for help and struggling with an unidentified person below. And so the person holding the camera appears to be at an elevated location above a row of, of like bushes, which looks to be about a few dozen yards away from this actual interaction. And so you can actually hear another person off camera um, near the filmer saying, what's going on? And then another person says, stop. And then you hear a man's voice yell toward the RV saying they're abducting her. And he says in a hushed tone, um, directing whoever is with him to call 911. So this is, a, I mean, this is bold, you know, basically kidnapping this lady off the street uh, with people watching. And so the uh, L.A. County Sheriff's Department is treating it as a suspicious circumstances uh, because they don't know really what it could be. It could be anything. And they say it could be a domestic crime, but they're still investigating. So crazy story. Um, and that popped out of California. They shared it on, on social media, but they did find a van. The lady, it looks like they're safe. They just want to figure out what the heck happened. Yeah. Um, as, as someone who's lived in California, uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. A lot of, <laughs> um, a lot of, uh, randoms out in California. Um, this is a, a story, listeners, it's going to be a little bit more pleasant, um, for you. Actually, very pleasant, very wholesome here. 
Um, this is about uh, a night to really commemorate and remember that there are a lot of people living with disabilities who are just really trying to live normal lives in and out of sports. Um, this is kind of to help out with the International Paralympics Committee. Rome Coliseum, the London Eye, the Empire State Building, Tokyo Sky Tree, a bunch of different landmarks were actually decorated in pink. Uh, excuse me, in purple. And this was uh, in recognition of people with disabilities. The world has about 1.2 million people, excuse me, 1.2 billion people with disabilities. And our country, or rather the world, orchestrated this movement of 125 landmarks being bathed in purple. The idea to light these places uh, came out of a campaign called We the 15. It's named for the 15% of the world's population who live with disabilities, according to the International Paralympic Committee. The U.S. Uh, had more than 20 U.S. landmarks that participated in this, like Centennial Olympic Park in Atlanta, Gillette Stadium near Boston, and even the Staples Center in Los Angeles. The organizers have also created a short video that chronicles the irregular lives of people with disabilities, from the daily need to do chores to their dreams of excelling in life and in sports. So uh, a really cool thing that I saw, Devin. Um, I didn't know that they did this, and I didn't see any of the purple buildings, but um, hats off to all the, uh, the, the, the world leaders who were participating in this. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty, a pretty cool story there. Um, so good find, uh, for sure. And so, um, our next story moving on, uh, we're going to go to Disney World <laughs> and we're going to go there. So they announced on, uh, looks like Wednesday that they are going to be creating or developing hyper realistic free roaming robot versions of the beloved characters to populate the grounds of its park. And it's going to label them sentient. Uh, labeling labeling them sentient may be jumping the gun a little bit as the idea of robot sentience is uh, complicated, but these creations are slated to have cameras and sensors that let them make on-the-fly choices about what to do and what to say. And this is according to the Times. Uh, while Disney executives see these robots or bots as a way to intrigue younger generations and stay, quote, relevant, uh, of course, naturally, some people um, are more apt to see them as terrifying. And so on Twitter, there were a lot of jokes being made about uh, Westworld, which is the HBO series that's also based on a movie from 1973. Um, and Westworld, if you don't know, the, the HBO series in the movie is about a theme park that is filled with androids that are almost impossible to distinguish from human beings. I've watched it. It's a very good show. But it is very creepy because <laughs> these beings, these androids, like they say, are almost impossible to distinguish from real humans. And Disney, I don't know what you're doing, but you might want to watch the HBO series Westworld before you go around making robots that are going to be making on the fly choices about what to do and what to say. Just, you know, I, I figure we get here, Adrian, but it's just weird, <laughs> you know, to see that written in, in black and white and know. That that's coming. And then we got Tesla talking about they're going to make some kind of Tesla bot next year, next year or something. So it's just, you know, the robots are coming, you know, they're getting ready to take over. <laughs> I know that they've already taken some of our jobs. So it's only yeah, a matter of true. time before we <laughs> start doing more. <laughs> but hey, speaking of uh, doing more, um, this is a cool story because looks like females are able to do more than what we anticipated. 
Um, officials at an Italian aquarium said a baby smooth hound shark was born in a shark tank in which only females were kept. Uh, this was, I think they said more than two decades. They only kept females in this tank. Marine biologists at the aquarium said that they have sent off samples for testing to confirm whether this species is actually a genetic clone of their mom. Uh, this is out of Sardinia. And like I said, this is an Italian city here where the baby dub Asperia was born in a tank in which only two females had lived there the past decade. The aquarium said officials suspect the shark was born to be a process known as parathengiasis. Uh, no, I, I, I was, I was going to say that right, but I actually practiced that before we were doing the show. But, right. I, but I knew but I, I was going to butcher it. Uh, parathengiasis. Uh, Parogenesis. Yeah, I think that's what that is. Yeah, there we go. I don't know. It's like, who knows? Uh, Which involves a polar cell, which contains a duplicate of an egg's DNA fertilizing the egg in the absence of sperm. The aquarium has said that they've actually identified a few other species who've done this. And this could maybe be the fourth species to kind of make on the list there. Um, for parathen for parathenogenesis, man, I don't know why I can't. Put, trying to put too many syllables in that word there, but yeah, uh, fortunately we don't have to worry about you know the the human race doing this, Devin, um, because I feel like that would be um that'd be weird um uh, having too many clones and I mean I guess if you're if you're a same sex couple you might uh, like this, but yeah. um I guess God didn't make it that way. <laughs> no, they didn't make it easy <laughs> for sure. Um, but our next story here is is pretty funny to me. They should make a movie about this. But um, if you ever plan on robbing a bank and you plan on writing a note, please make sure you write the note with good handwriting so the tellers can read it, so they can know what you're asking for. Because a bank robber in southern England did not get what he wanted and his bank his robbing attempt was thwarted because the tellers couldn't decipher his threatening note and so his name is alan slattery he's a retiree he's 67 years old he was able to flee empty-handed from a nationwide building society branch in eastbourne in march after employees struggled to read his message demanding they hand over cash um sussex sussex police revealed this on thursday so the police actually shared a picture of the note. And if you look hard enough, like you really have to look at this thing, you can read your screen won't stop what I've got. Just hand over the tens and the twenties. Think about the other customers. That was what his note was supposed to say. Uh, but you couldn't read it. And so it looks like later in March, he actually was successful in one of his attempts. He made off with 2,400 British pounds, which is about 3,300 in U.S. dollars, and he hit up another nationwide branch in a different city. He actually tried another robbery at another bank in April, but he left with no money. And then they were actually, police were able to finally identify him um, from bank security footage, and they arrested him near his home. And so the 67-year-old has pled guilty to one count of robbery and two counts of attempted robbery in July. Um, So he's been sentenced to six years in prison. Uh, so yeah, Adrian, if you ever plan on, you know, trying to rob a bank, you know, do the whole, give them a note and they hand you the cash, please make sure you write it in, in legibly so that they can read it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I mean, you step know, one. if you're gonna be a criminal, be a good criminal at least. Don't, don't, exactly. Don't have to do it. <laughs> I'm just. I know we're pressed for time, but I just I can't imagine him handing the letter and the teller's like trying to stare at this paper and read it, and she's like, "What does it say? <laughs> what? You want to hand over what?" <laughs> He's like, it's like, like, you know, you're like trying to have a serious bank robbery. Yeah. You can't even read your note. <laughs> She's like asking the other tellers, like, can you read this? Right. Oh, hey, my gosh. I'm, I'm sure uh, Key and Peel, if they were still up and running, they would do a skit on this or something. Yes. Um, they need to. Oh, my God. It'd be hilarious. It would be. <laughs> um, to go to something that's. I guess it's not as funny. I mean, it's interesting, I guess, but not as funny as that. Uh, an Apple II computer manual actually was auctioned uh, and sold for about $788,000. And the reason why, uh, listeners, is because it was signed by Steve Jobs, who's, of course, the co-founder, signed this in 1980. It's a 196-page manual that talks about the technical specs and the operations instructions for Apple II computer jobs and the second ceo of apple mike signed it in 1980 uh the what are what he wrote on it says julian your generation is the first to grow up with computers go change the world uh like i said job wrote this in the cover the julian was referring to julian brewer son of mike brewer who had negotiated exclusive distribution rights for apple products in britain and later became the first managing director of apple uk ltd uh, our auction said the winning bidder was uh, Jim Irsay, who is the owner of the Indianapolis Colts. So, um, of course, whenever I saw that the price for this was seven hundred eighty-eight thousand, of course, somebody who owns a NFL team would have the money to do this. <laughs> of, of course, not surprised at all. <laughs> we, you know, regular people don't have uh, almost eight hundred k laying around to go buy, you know, Apple II manual <laughs> signed by Steve Jobs. But, uh, yeah, pretty cool story there. So, uh, yeah, listeners, so that's going to do it for our quick hits here and for our news portion of the show. So we're going to go ahead and take our, our last break, and we'll come back and wrap the show up and let you know what's coming up next uh, next week. So stick with us. We'll be right back. <music> been listening to the black agenda podcast hosted by adrian guest and devin dito if you enjoy listening to the show let the host know by leaving a review on apple podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod and give a few dollars after all the black agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you let's get back to the show All right, listeners, so welcome back. As always, we like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. Uh, so first up, it's going to be uh, on Tuesday. So coming out on Tuesday, uh, August 24th, we'll be talking with uh, Miss Amy Fedig. She's the executive director of the Sentencing Project, and we're going to be talking to her about the war on drugs. And so uh, we are continuing our thing. We've talked a lot about weed and weed policy and now we want to talk about what was happening on the ground uh, when black bodies were being snatched out of our neighborhoods. And so that was under the guise of the war on drugs. And we're going to dive into that 
because it really should be renamed the war on black people instead of the war on drugs. And so Amy was amazing. And so you're going to want to tune in for that one because that was a really great conversation with her. And then after her episode, so Amy Fettig, War on Drugs, happening Tuesday, August 24th. After that, a few days later, we'll be back with you again next week, next Saturday, August 28th for weekly roundup number 11. Uh, And again, that's our chance to bring you all the news from the past week, some funny news, some interesting news, some tech news. Uh, We'll try to put it all in a nice, neat package and catch you up and let you know what's happening in the world around us. And so... Again, before we go, we like to let you know, you can not only help us out by downloading and listening to the podcast, but you can also donate uh, to us. And we have some ways that you can do that. And Adrian's going to let you know how you can do it. Yeah, uh, Devin is absolutely right. Uh, Donating is important. Um, We need that money to make the world a better place. Um, (laughs) I wish it was just as easy as saying, let's go and change the world and let's go institute you know policy that's going to rebuild society but unfortunately the way you know especially the way american politics works you got to have money if you're going to ever change people um so we need your help listeners we need you to go to our website blackagendapie.com all you need to do is click that donate tab and start giving it's just like you know we are the world you know let's start giving like (laughs) that's what we need i mean it's that's that's what it's all about to make the world a better place um and like i said when you do that you not only show that you support what we're doing as far as podcasting but you show your support in the mission behind our messaging to say that we're about uh, reforming different you know things whether it be marijuana policy civil rights issue um but like i said go to our website blackagendapie.com Com, click the donate tab and start receiving some of our perks that we do for our monthly patrons. The other thing is that our charity of the month, our organization for August is Choose 180. Choose 180 transformed the lives of youth and young adults by partnering them with institutional leaders, connecting them with community and empowering them with choice by teaching them the skills necessary to avoid engagement in the criminal legal system. They really envision a future where youth behavior is decriminalized and young people offer restorative practices in lieu of traditional prosecution. They want to live in a society that's going to help young people realize their potential and provide them with the tools necessary to achieve their goals. So a really, really great organization, Devin. Absolutely. So make sure you check them out. Donate to them while you're trying to donate to us. Um, Again, we are the world here, so... (laughs) We'll take all the help that we can get. Um, and so before we go, we also like to let you know that you can, you should be following us on social media. If you're not, you can find us. Our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Again, our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. You can also find us on YouTube. Just search the Black Agenda Podcast. And you'll find a, a very, very good catalog of interviews and conversations with a lot of different experts. Again, we have 10 episodes featuring HBCU administrators. We have conversations about black history. We have conversations about uh, critical race theory, a really good one with Janelle George. So make sure you check that out. If you have some time, just search the black agenda podcast on YouTube and you'll be able to find us. And so again, uh, we enjoy, we, th- we appreciate you staying with us and we enjoy bringing you the news from the past week. So make sure you tune in next week. Weekly roundup number 11, uh, August 28th. And so until then, we'll catch you next time. 